thank you for that reminder that is a wonderful summary of so much of Scripture from the very beginning where it tells us you've created all things to the very end, where it says all kingdoms will be yours. We're reminded that throughout the Word of God, you are pictured on the throne. You are not pictured as one who is in any way anxious or worried. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Thank you, Lord, for that stability that can only come from our rock, our place of safety, Jehovah, and the rock, Christ Jesus. So help us this day, Lord, to turn our eyes heavenward, and may our hearts embrace your truth so that we will be people of hope, that we will be people of God in a dark, dark world. We pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and God's people said, amen, amen. Wow, what a week. I can never in my own history remember such a contentious election. And there have been some in the past that had a lot of animosity to them, but this has to be one of the most amazing. I dare say most people are in utter shock, and if you tell me, no, I planned all of this, I thought it would turn out this way, I somewhat doubt you a little bit. Some have extreme disappointment, and others great elation. But one thing seems to be coming through, and that is... In the American society in which we live, there is unbelievable disillusionment for our political process and great concern for all that's been going on. But I want you to know that that isn't anything that's new, because when you go back to the first century and see the times of Jesus, politically, it was a mess as well. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark, but I've actually jumped up ahead, uh, jumped up one week ahead of schedule. So today's sermon that was supposed to be starting in Mark 11 and going into 12 will be next week. And we're jumping ahead because the text of Scripture in Mark 12 that I want us to look at, I believe is so appropriate for today. Mark chapter 12 and verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to, what they, to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So, teacher, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. What are you, are you trying to trap me, he said? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin to Jesus. And he said to them, whose portrait, whose image is on the coin. And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. 
And then Jesus gave one of the best answers that you could ever imagine. He said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. We need to know what's happening here. Whenever you read the New Testament, dive into the story. Understand that it was a living, dynamic situation. We have a tendency to read it from a distance, cold, sometimes even uninterested, and jump right into the next story. But this is an amazing situation. You have to understand something about the times. Notice in verse 13, later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. So what's happening here? Who is the they? You have to go all the way back to chapter 11, verse 27, to find out that that refers to the religious leaders of the Jews, the chief priests. It refers to the teachers of the law. It also refers to the elders of the nation, those who were entrusted with spiritually guiding and to some, in some sense, politically guiding the nation of Israel. And then when you get to verse 13, you have a couple other groups mentioned, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, we have these same groups today, only with slightly different names. That is, I would suggest to you that the Pharisees are kind of the religious legalists of our day. They were indeed, some of you may not like this, the hard right wingers. The Herodians were the liberals, along with the Sadducees. The Herodians basically served between Israel and Rome, following Herod, who wasn't even a Jew, but was put by Rome in charge of the land, and they made political compromises so that they might have their political interests carried out. And the Pharisees and the Herodians did not like each other. There was a group called the Essenes. They were kind of like the monastics, the religious people who want to just be removed from everything. And they never took part in the political system. They just criticized it from afar. And then you had the zealots. Now, the zealots were the people who wanted to overthrow the government. They wouldn't pay their taxes and they hated Rome. There was one by the name of Judas the Galilean. No, not Judas Iscariot. Judas the Galilean. He rose up and led the revolt of the zealots and, and began to uh, cry out that they should not pay taxes, and Rome got a hold of him and killed him. He said taxes means that we're a slave to the Roman government. But after he died... His battle cry still continued on. No taxes to Rome. No taxes to Rome. Does it sound like today? And you had all these fragmented groups who were amazingly diverse, but they came together and were unified in one thing. They hated Jesus. They hated the gospel. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he threatened their religious control of the system. And the Herodians didn't like Jesus because he threatened their political arrangement. And, and these other groups, the Zealots, didn't like Jesus because he never said he was on their side. And they all hated Jesus and wanted to get rid of him. That's the people. Notice their intention. 
We're told in verse 13 that they wanted to catch Jesus in his words. By the way, interesting, this is the only time this Greek word is used in the entire New Testament. And it's, it's setting a trap for an animal. They want to catch Jesus, get him to say something that would ensnare him and cause him to lose face with one crowd or the other. And their approach? <laughs> Flattery. Don't you see it? Verse 14, they came to him and said, oh, teacher, you're so awesome. You're a man of integrity. You're not swayed by men. No, you've got the courage of your convictions. You don't even pay any attention to what they say. What you teach is the true word of God. That's all you're concerned about. By the way, that was true, that Jesus is not controlled by men and he only teaches the true word of God, but they didn't believe it. Beware of flattery, right? Better the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Flattery is always used to cause people to trip. That was their approach. And here's their question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or no? We, you, you only have two answers, yes or no. Yes or no? Now, Jesus was actually between a rock and a hard place in answering this question. It was a question that was kind of like a, the bait on a hook. Take a bite and you're in trouble. It was a lazy question, as Ted Ward taught me years ago. Many questions are lazy questions, which means that you cannot answer without some explanation, but people want a yes or no answer. The one I always remember is, have you stopped beating your wife? Well, no. Oh, you mean you still are? <laughs> you know, it was a lazy question. If you say yes or no, you're in trouble. And they get you exactly where they want you. Politically loaded. You see, Herod died about 4 B.C., and he divided his kingdom among his three sons, and the one son, Archelaus, that was in charge of the southern kingdom was doing a horrible job. So Rome stepped in and changed it from being a tributary form of government to a provincial form of government with a governor right there extolling the people, controlling the people, and extracting the taxes. There were at least three taxes that the Hebrews had to pay. There was a ground tax, which means the fruit or the crops had to be in part given back uh, to the government of Rome. There was the income tax, which was about 1%. And then there was the tributary tax. You had to pay a tax just for the privilege of existing in the Roman government. And this is the tax that most people hated, or they hated the most. The poll tax, sometimes called the imperial tax, sometimes called the tributary tax. And that's probably what is being referred to here because you couldn't pay it with any Jewish coin you had to pay it with a Roman coin, and it was called a denarius. Here's a picture of a denarius uh, taken somewhere around the time of the middle of the first century, and it has on it some very interesting writing. The first line on it literally says this, Tiberius, which was one of the names for Caesar, and Caesar is like the name of a president, so the T-I is an abbreviation, Tiberius Caesar, Divine 
son of Augustus, or Augustus, divine son of Augustus. Again, Augustus being one of the uh, leadership names uh, for their emperor and their sovereign. And then on the, observe, uh, on the opposite side of the coin, uh, a phrase that you might be a little more familiar with, this idea of Pontifex Maximus, the high priest or the highest priest of all, the pontiff. So he is not only the supreme ruler of Rome, but he is a semi-god or divine himself, and he is the high priest, the one who rules over all the nation politically and religiously. That's what the coin says. What you may not know is that uh, if you use those coins, you recognized his authority. And as you use those coins, you are always reminded that they, even while in circulation, were still his property. He owned them. And so that was the situation at the time. Jesus is in a no-win situation with the answer to this question. I'm sure they were clapping their hands and smacking their lips and waiting for Jesus to trip up. If he says, yes, pay your taxes, then the zealots would be upset. He'd lose the support of the populace. The Jewish people would cry, blasphemy, you're siding with Rome. And if he said, don't pay your taxes, they'd kill him just like they did Judas the Galilean. Treason, they would cry. <laughs> Pharisees wanted, wanted him to answer one way. The Herodians wanted him to answer another way. But they really didn't care because either way, they've got him. What a trap. Ever try to trap Jesus? Doesn't work. And so Jesus says, uh, show me the coin. By the way, he wasn't carrying one. That's rather interesting. He wasn't carrying one of these offensive coins. Some of the Jews felt that even to carry the coin was blasphemous because you had a graven image on it, the image of another god that was an idol. And so to carry the coin was indeed blasphemous. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does use the coin, though, and he makes two amazing statements. Render, the old translation has, give to Caesar what is his, and give to God what is his. Now, the first point is that basically Jesus is saying human government is legitimate. Even the wicked human government of Caesar is legitimate. And pay up. Give to Caesar means pay your taxes. Jesus is basically saying the tax you pay to the government is the debt you owe for their protection and for the services they render. By the way, the Roman government did a lot for the people of that day. The Pax Romana, the peace that they established, was amazing and gave tranquility and to some degree prosperity to many of the people. Now they could cry out, yeah, but it's a wicked regime. Yeah, but they were still doing a lot of good and Jesus said you owe something to the government. Pay your taxes. Jesus didn't side with the zealots who were trying to overthrow the government. I find that rather interesting. 
We're living in a political time where we have the tendency to want to join in the fray and continue the fight, and we forget that we've been called to be peacemakers. We're from a different kingdom. And we're called to focus on the gospel. But we're citizens of this world as well as, as Christians, citizens of heaven, and we've got to learn to be bifocal. You say, I don't like that. I want it one way or the other. Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees and Herodians wanted. Yes or no answer. And Jesus expanded the question from not either or to both and. Render unto Caesar what belongs to him. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Romans chapter 13. Have you ever read this? <laughs> this is an amazing portion of Scripture. Romans chapter 13. Just the first few verses. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He raises up kings, he takes down kings. He says of wicked kings like Nebuchadnezzar, you are my servant. The authorities that exist have been established by God, verse 1. says it twice, I suppose because it's so shocking. Who's in control? Rome. Where are they living? Rome. Washington, D.C. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so bring judgment on themselves. And then he talks about how rulers... Don't carry the sword in vain. There's punishment for the wrongdoer. He goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment you might incur by disobeying, but also for conscience' sake, because it's right, and because God has established the authority. So verse 6 says, This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. It doesn't mean that everything they do is right. Caesar's regime was wicked. But Jesus is saying there's enough freedom, even within this government, to live for God and share his truth. And I think that's an important perspective that you and I need to embrace. Now, we live in a country where there is democracy, to some degree. We live in a republic where we supposedly have representative forms of government. Notice how I'm couching all my terms. We live in this wonderful situation, and I love America. I really do, but I hope you'll agree with me. America's got some problems. And we can love her and weep for her at the same time. And although we may love our form of government and think that it's the best in the world, and I do, it's not without its problems. And we should not worship our government. We worship God. But we should participate in our form of democracy. And when you have the right to vote, vote. Should have said this last week. When you have the right to speak up, speak up. As Christians, we are to be salt and light, participate. And make sure you pray 
1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 simply says this. I urge you, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, so that, purpose, so that we might live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray. Christianity Today had some responses to the election from Christian leaders. I thought some of them were fascinating. This is from a man by the name of Thabiti Anyawili. He's an African-American or black pastor. I'm not actually sure if he's African-American, but a black pastor now pastoring in Washington, D.C. He said, I'm doing well following the election. Our political process worked again, and that's a blessing. The result is not what I wanted. Ideally, I long for a way for both major party candidates to lose. (laughs) And Mr. Trump's election was, by a sliver, the worst possible outcome in my mind. But I'm confident in the goodness of God and his loving rule of all things, and I'm confident that my ministry of prayer for the president will produce more than all my political participation. Now the work begins afresh on my knees in continued engagement. You say, well, man, I don't agree with some of that. (laughs) I tell you, the Christian community is deeply divided. And if you're a white evangelical, you may not even have a clue how the minorities feel. And we've got to get into the life situation of our brothers and sisters. I like what Barry Black said, and this is quoted in Christianity Today as well. Barry Black is the chaplain of the United States Senate. He said, Donald Trump has been elected president of the United States, and I feel grateful, optimistic, and satisfied. Don't go too far with that yet. I would have felt that way no matter who was elected. Grateful because 1 Thessalonians 5 admonishes us and everything give thanks. I am optimistic because Romans 8.28, God causes everything to work for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I am satisfied because Philippians chapter 4 says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Wow. That's a great perspective. No matter who's elected. Man, I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. In one sense, I was a bit relieved, and in another sense, I'm scared to death. But this I know, God is on the throne, and that's where my hope is, dear brothers and sisters. And my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. He's a different type of king. So there is legitimate human government. That's what Jesus said. And we need to pay our dues, and we need to pray and submit, because God has established them. And it doesn't mean they're always righteous, but God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of chaos. But I like what he said at the end, don't you? 
Render unto God the things that belong to God. You see, what he's actually saying now is that God's government is superior. It's supreme. He's acknowledged that there are two governments. They should be mutually working together, but God's government is supreme. It supersedes the first. Render to Caesar, but to God, the things that are God. By saying that, he denied the claim that was written on the inscription that Caesar is the divine Augustus. No, no, Jesus is divine. God is the ruler over all. And while these two systems should be and can be supportive, if they ever do come in conflict, we ought to obey God rather than man. That's Acts chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. When the apostles were preaching and the authorities brought them in and said, we insist you no longer teach in Jesus' name, they said, sorry, we have to obey God rather than men. Whenever the clear teaching of Scripture, and I said the clear teaching of Scripture, contradicts with what the government may want you to do, we have a clear path ahead, and that is to follow God. But often, our submission to the government does not mean that we have to compromise the Scripture, even if what the government tells us to do may not be something that we want to do, like pay taxes. I don't like paying taxes. I'm not sure the system is run very well. You might remember the name Strom Thurmond. He was a senator from South Carolina years ago. And one day he received a letter. It came from one of his constituents in South Carolina, and it was addressed to God. The people in South Carolina didn't know where to send it, so they sent it to Washington. And since it came from, which is a real misnomer, but they did send it to Washington. And because it came from South Carolina, it came on Senator Thurmond's desk, and he read it in the letter went something like this. We're having a rough time. Mom's having problems medically. We need some money. God, could you send us $100? Strom Thurmond's heart was touched. and He knew there was no place in the government he could find that money, so he just put a nice, crisp $20 bill in the letter and sent it back. Three weeks later, another letter came, sent to God, sent to Washington, ended up on Thurmond's desk, and he read it. And the letter said, thank you so much for the $20 that you sent. That really helped. But please, next time, don't send it through Washington. They took out 80%. (laughs) That's about how I feel about taxes. Except, God says, pay them. Christians ought to be the best citizens in all the nations. And only when forced to choose between God's clear command and the commands of state do we say, I must obey God rather than man. But it's interesting, as Jesus was holding that coin and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. There's an implication that he looks at all of us and says, by the way, whose image is on you? Answer? God's. And the Greek text that translates the Old Testament Hebrew in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, uses the very same word that is used in Mark's text for image. 
We are created in the image of God. So give to God what is due Him. What you owe the government, give to them. And what you owe God, give to Him. And what do you owe God? Everything you are and everything you have. And what a rebuke that was to the Pharisees and Herodians who had a form of religion but denied its power and were more concerned about eliminating Jesus Christ. So you, do you participate in God's kingdom? He owns you even while you're in circulation. He made you and his image is on you. Back in 1932, there was a new coin issued by the uh, U.S. Mint. It was the quarter, the Washington quarter. And you see the one on the one side that's almost in mint condition, and then the same quarter that's been used quite a bit. And you can barely read it or notice. By the way, in the midst of circulation, you and I have a tendency to get worn, and the image of God is defaced. And that's why we have to go back and repent. We have to go back and find forgiveness. We have to ask the Lord to rewrite our focus. A good citizen, yes, of this kingdom. But God's kingdom is supreme. And I like this statement. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. Jesus didn't come to take sides, Tony Evans said. He came to take over. And it's about time we live like citizens of heaven so that we can be good citizens of this world and point them to the real hope, which is Jesus himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to participate in the political process, but not to put our hope in men. To be good citizens of this world, but good citizens of heaven is not an easy task, but that's what you call us to do. And Lord, while we are in the midst of this time of uncertainty in our own nation this much we know you are on the throne and you are not anxious so we pray for our leaders we pray for blessing in the lives of our leaders and righteousness and wise decisions and good counselors who will help us to go forward in a righteous way and lord we pray that you will protect us with the freedom of proclaiming the gospel wherever we are and wherever we live. For this is my Father's world. And should my heart be sad, the Lord is King, let the heavens ring, God reigns. Let the church be glad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.